Hi, Marsha. Hi, Ursula. And welcome, everyone, to episode 54 of the Bulak podcast. I'm Ursula Lindsay in Amman, Jordan, and Marsha Links Quayle is in Rabat, Morocco. And um, a warning that we are going to be using the word shit a lot in this episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but we are talking about uh, an essay that uh, deals with the disposal of sewage and shit in Beirut. And we are dealing with the overall, talking about the overall situation in Lebanon these days, uh, which also sort of calls for using that term pretty often. Uh, so uh, be, you've, been, you've been warned. Now we're going to run a short excerpt from Lina Munzer's essay, Waste Away, which ran in The Baffler and is going to be forthcoming in Tales of Two Planets, which is a collection of writing on climate change and inequality. And Lina's a writer and translator living in Beirut, and we'll let Lina's essay speak for itself. Beneath every city, its underground twin, its dark heart, its churning guts. This is no metaphor. I'm talking about the sewer system. A network of pipes connecting to every shower drain, every kitchen sink, every toilet, disappearing a household's dirt and grease and vomit and urine and feces down the gullets of small pipes that flow down into the ground that then feed into bigger pipes and ever bigger pipes, all our shit merging, the organic fibrous roughage of the rich, the nutrient deficient poop of the poor, and all the middle class crap in between, all democratically flowing together in a single system ideally powered by gravity, ideally leading to the great bowel of a treatment plant meant to deal with all this waste, turn it clear again so that it can be safely dumped into rivers and seas. Alongside this system, another one, the storm drainage system that receives a city's rain and rushes it back from whence it came. A rhythmic cycle as nature intended from river to river, lake to lake, sea to sea. This water is also used to feed the groundwater supply, some of it piped back into wells and tanks. Soil absorbs rain, feeding it into the root system of crops and flowers and trees. Asphalt, concrete, does not. As such, streets must be designed to be ever so slightly convex so that rain may flow to either side and rush down into the storm drains meant to line every one of them. Streets also ought to be kept clear of garbage, not just for aesthetic purposes, but because this water picks up pollutants and trash along its journey and brings them back to our crops, our waterways, our houses. Storm pipes are bigger than sewer pipes. The deluge from above is faster and more powerful than any faucet, any flush. Ideally, a proportional amount of money is invested in maintaining this invisible city in such a way that it keeps pace with whatever is taking place above ground. As the population grows, so too must the sewer network. As the rains change, becoming rarer or else more brutal, so too must the stormwater system keep up with storage designed to compensate for the deficits of the dry season or more expansive pipes to accommodate the assaults of the wet. In some places, these two systems, circulatory and digestive, are combined, both supplies detoxified by the same organ before being released. In others, where they are not, their networks must be kept strictly separate throughout, and any rupture can be as serious and poisonous as poop getting into your bloodstream. Ideally, in both cases, the treatment plants actually work, and the sewage is not just dumped as is into the sea. Of course, unfortunately, we know that that's not the case and hasn't been the case. Uh, and as the rest of this essay explains, that's one of the many problems facing the city of Beirut is that they have been dumping raw sewage directly into the sea for, for years now. Right. And and not only that, as this essay discusses, you know, um, in the proper crony capitalist fashion, band-aiding it together, uh, stoppering up things, uh, instead of planning the city for the majority, for, for the people, just planning the enclaves and pl making band-aid on top of band-aid. Yeah. I mean, the essay manages through, uh, through this metaphor, which as she says, is not really a metaphor, uh, to talk about all the things that have not 
been dealt with since the end of the civil war uh, in Lebanon and uh, that are sort of precipitating this crisis that we see now, I mean, it's sort of hard to overstate how serious the collapse going on in Lebanon these days is um, the, the, the economic collapse that's taking place. And I mean, I can try, I'm going to try and briefly talk about uh, what's, what's led up to this uh, because it's actually very complicated. And I was in Beirut uh, in the fall when it was already clear that this was happening. Um, And when there were protests, which in a way were, a symptom of 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 what was happening, or or part of, of of this collapse, was people's realization that this was coming already, and and their anger um, at the people who are responsible for it. Uh, so, I mean, you know, Le- Lebanon has had this economic system that is sort of completely mysterious and improbable for for a long time, and which involves. Um, a very stable currency peg of the Lebanese lira to the dollar. It's been about 1500 uh, since 1997. And that sort of is the pillar of the stability of the Lebanese economy or one of them. But to maintain that peg uh, and to maintain uh, the flow of money from abroad into Lebanon and the, and the real estate sector and the banking sector, which has become a huge part of the Lebanese economy uh, in recent years, that has required more and more uh, kind of ma- magical thinking in, in, in trying to attract more dollars into the banking system. Like there's this, requ- there's this need to have a constant flow of dollars into the system to to prop it up. And that's why people have described it as a Ponzi scheme in a way, because the central bank has offered bonds with these incredible returns to keep on getting more dollars in, um, even as like the country's debt has gotten bigger and bigger and its productive investments, you know, lower and lower and its growth lower. Um, and so, you know, that's, it, that's the Ponzi scheme is when you're just taking more and more money in and you're paying people out, uh, from the money you're just getting in, but not because the whole sort of like structure is is solid and productive. Uh, and uh, so this whole edifice has sort of started to completely crumble um, as they were unable anymore to get, you know, this flow of dollars in as people lost confidence. Uh, and now the lira is trading, I think, on the back market at nine thousand to the dollar. Right. Uh, they they say one in three Lebanese has lost their jobs. Uh, even the banking sector, the private banking sector in Lebanon, basically owns all of the state debt uh, because it, it, they were getting these incredible returns on it, and the private banking sector is in turn owned by the political class. So basically, Lebanon's political class has been making money off of the sovereign debt for years. Uh, and they don't want to, you know, bear the brunt of this collapse now, even though they're the ones who have both, you know, you you know, chose to pursue these policies and benefited from them for a very long time. And so average people have been restricted from taking out dollars from their banks, you know, to something like $100 a week, uh, the the lira's collapsing, but in the meantime, uh, you know, there's there's been uh, one of the negotiators with the IMF, the Lebanese negotiators who resigned in protest, has estimated that six billion dollars left the country in the last six months. So while average people can't take dollars out of the bank, you know, big depositors have been able to bribe their way into taking their money out of the country. Um, and you know, the political class is completely paralyzed and basically doing nothing to address this. And you have, uh, you know, things like, uh, there's no electric, there's the electricity provision is down to like a few hours now and the electricity building in Beirut, you know, they built walls and barbed wire around it because they, they, they knew they were going to start cutting it down to just a few hours a day. And they knew people were going to be furious. Yeah. I mean, to me, one of the biggest outrages is how friends cannot access their small savings and the $6 billion number of 
money that was taken out of the country. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if the political class is paralyzed or if they have sort of decided not to do anything. Well, I mean, I think they've, I mean, these are the same people, more or less, who were actually leaders of factions during the Civil War and then became political leaders after the Civil War. Um, and so they've been, you know, and and in a way, the deal at the end of the Civil War was, okay, we're going to stop fighting and we're all going to make a lot of money. Right. You know, like everybody's going to get their cut of this pie now. Um, and... Uh, you know, these, these, uh, the prime minister has been in, I think, prime minister for like 30 years. I mean, that alone tells you that somebody is awful. You know, anybody who's held their position for this long uh, needs to go. And, and they are all representative of different, you know, sectarian groups uh, in, in, in Lebanon. And the protests in the fall were trying to be like, and were in the beginning like cross sectarian, like everybody participated from all the different confessional backgrounds in the country. But you know the protests have sort of, you know, petered out. There's violence against them. Of course, there's the COVID epidemic, and like people are you know distraught and and trying to deal with not just that they can't take their they can't take their money out and the money that they have. Like if you have anything in lira. People used to think there was this very stable rate, so they they thought they could turn it into dollars at any time. Now the lira is becoming worthless. Right, right. I mean, your so so what you your salary is now like a sixth of its previous value. Right, and things people thought were their retirement fund, their kids' college fund, etc., have suddenly disappeared right in front of their eyes. Right, in a country that is, has had this like really high rate of savings, actually, mm. and where people, partly because the banks offered these very attractive uh, rates of return, people in the Lebanese diaspora would send right. their money home. Right. Like everybody put their money in these banks, um, and uh, it's it's not just that the political class doesn't know what to do; is that they refuse to do. I think what's necessary, and you know. One may have different views, and and I certainly am very critical about the IMF and its policies. But at the moment, even among a sort of everyone, you know, who's an who's an expert, who's knowledgeable, says like you do have to negotiate with the IMF right now. Like there's really no other way out, and you know, the, the, they they can't even agree on like describing the losses and and where they are. Right. That's the level of like lack of transparency that that you can't, you know, they can't even agree on like what the problem is so that they can start negotiating on it that basis. Right. And I, I think often when people write about Lebanon in English, they they foreground sectarian issues. And I'm not trying to suggest that sects don't exist, but that but it that it makes and it makes it seem other, I think, in a way that talking about uh, crony capitalism d makes it seem very close. So when I read Lena's essay, there is a lot about uh, exclusive private luxury uh, communities and um, and things created for billionaires and patches on sewage systems that remind me of all sorts of things in Cairo, in New York City, in many places. Uh, around the world. So, you know, talking about, oh, Beirut uh, is the place of the sectarian civil war of 1975 to 1990, uh, I think m makes it seem distant in a way that it's, I think, absolutely not. I think it's a, sort of um, a canary in the coal mine for our entire world, which is why I think this essay makes such a great essay in this sort of tales of two planets or such a frightening essay, really. Absolutely. I think um, uh, Lebanon is a sort of example of wild or savage capitalism that does show, and also all these international financial institutions like the IMF and Western donors who are now kind of scolding Lebanese I mean, the leadership utterly deserves it, but they've been supporting this model up until it broke. Right. You know, up until very recently. Um, 
And when I was there in the fall, somebody said to me, to your your point about this being representative of global trends, somebody said to me, uh, sectarianism masks the class interests and conflicts in the country. Like all the leadership of all these different sects are in it together Mm -hmm. and and invested in the status quo. Um, And then they can, but then they go to their supporters and say, we're protecting you, we're supporting you. Like now, you know, they're sort of saying they're providing like really basic services because people don't have food. Uh, But but they've all created the system together uh, and, and, and they have more in common, obviously, with each other than they do with, I think, you know, working class people from all different backgrounds in the country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she has one sentence. The old warlords became the new government. Private contracts replaced contract killers. The new city would leave the old war behind by erasing every last trace of it by the cosmetic overhaul of its ruins. And it, you know, it just is very much like putting perfume over the layer of sewage. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been so much speculation. And also, if, like, downtown Beirut is this kind of crazy sort of landscape because they redid the center of town in this very kind of like picturesque way but it's basically a mall and and then there's all these skyscrapers and marinas and developments and you know it's such a it feels like such a facade with underneath which is again what Lena says is talking about is sort of the hidden or the the stuff you're trying to get rid of and not think about, right? Come, <laughs> coming, coming back, coming back to haunt you, and like the horror of like which we've all experienced, and which she writes about really well. The other thing is, I mean, we're big fans of Lena's writing, and we've talked about uh, another essay of hers in a previous episode. Her translating translating garbage. trash, <laughs> yes. So I guess Lena is a bit obsessed with trash. Well, I think she has a gift for writing about uncomfortable things in in very, you know, brilliant and evocative ways. And, you know, an essay that's about, you know, shit is is not comfortable to read, even when, you know, like... Oh, sure. Even if you're not there, I don't want to think about the sewage system here in Rabat, you know? <laughs> no, nobody yeah. does. It's unsettling, but she writes about it so eloquently and so smartly and funnily and, you know, um, and she talks about this, you know, th- like having your toilet back up is like everyone's nightmare. And in a way, it's happening at the national level in a country is just like everything that's been irresponsibly you know, dumped on the sidelines is, 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 is coming back to, to, to literally poison people. Right. Right. Yes. And there, you know, she writes about swimming in, in shit. And, uh, and I think, you know, there are probably many of us who have swum in the Mediterranean and have swum in, in shit. And I've seen it called the toilet and that, you know, <laughs> And and it's something, yes, we definitely don't want to think about. Um, you know, I, I've read, there's a beautiful science fiction short story in the collection, Palestine Plus 100 by Salim Haddad. Um, and, and it has, it, it's set in the future where people are in this kind of, have this kind of virtual reality where they see everything as clean. And if, but if you make a tear in this virtual reality, you'll see that this this young girl has you know whatever um feces headed towards her as she as in you know the virtual reality shows her that she's swimming in this absolutely pristine beautiful uh sea and that is like essential nightmare actually i really don't like to think about the sea being dirty no of course not about any of it but that the environmental damage that's been done to the country mm. by by the political leadership in the, in these last decades is is really absolutely scandalous and and just just as bad as the sort of i mean one of the worst forms of a theft of a public resource you know the loss of beaches the air pollution which is incredible because people have to use generators because they haven't sorted out the electricity provision uh 
you know, and and yes, and then the the, the pollution of the of the sea. I mean, it's um, yeah. In every in in this essay, it's sort of it's it's a quite short essay, and yet on she really touches on all of it. She wakes up at one point, choking on the diesel fumes that are wafting into her into her room, and then you know, there's the the poisoning of the sea, and then there's yeah, the blocking off of the sea, the privatization of the sea landscape, making turning literally everything into a private resource. Yeah. And unfortunately now, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to be, it's hard to see how things aren't going to get significantly worse in the, in the short term. I mean, you know, you have uh, institutions like the American university in Beirut, which is, you know, uh, a hugely important institution with this beautiful campus just fired 10,000 people. Uh, no, sorry, 1,000 people yeah. the other day. Uh, yeah, and, and particularly and- many people from the medical center, which has been a, a, a pioneering medical institution, not just regionally, but world, but has done, you know, world, world-class research as well. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, I don't know what the effect, I mean, everybody is going to be, I mean, you hear stories that everyone who can is, is emigrating, you know, in a country where already young people emigrate, you know, very, very often and to a huge degree. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's a sort of mass, mass exodus going on for, for, for anybody who can, the effect of this, I, I can only imagine on, you know, what, what is a vibrant cultural scene and, and, and publishing scene. And, you know, also with this, I read an, I read an essay by, uh, Maha Yahya, who is a political analyst in, in Beirut. And, and she was talking about how, you're also seeing a regression in freedom of speech right now that goes along with the political crisis, with the economic crisis. You know, there's also a wave of sometimes repression that comes along because there's going to be so much conflict and so much dissatisfaction. Mm. And at the same time, you know, you can take advantage of crises always. Uh, and, 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 you know, this, you know, it's always, I think, liberal and progressive forces often that are that are weak in these situations, uh, that because they don't have the backing that they need and 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 the sort of you know foundations and the monopoly of violence and the financial resources and and so and so it's it's very worrisome. Right. There is no Samandal militia, for instance. I mean, right. not, so, not right. that I know of. <laughs> So that's, I, yeah, the, it, I, that's the comic, that's this famous <laughs> Lebanese comic, which actually got in trouble already before over freedom of speech issues, right? Uh, yes, yeah. In, in the in the past, but apparently there's been more and more of these kinds of uh, harassments and prosecution and people people being going after for what they're writing on, on social media. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, ter- it's just the, the, the collapse of spaces in which to think and to write. I mean, I hope it won't happen. You know, I know a bookstore that I always enjoyed visiting in Beirut, I think shut already three months ago, Dar Books. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there are still many exciting projects that are uh, continuing. So Samandal is, is still, as we're recording, just finishing up uh, seeking submissions for issue 17. So they continue to to work. And it's, it is a, sort of the the a pioneering uh, graphic novel collective that now there are similar graphic novel collectives in in cities all across the region and I think it's sort of world pioneering this the idea of this graphic novel collective where people are working together and then um, magazines like Rusted Radishes I think are doing these like sort of important work in terms of thinking through translation and important literary work. Um, that, yeah, I would be extremely distressed to see them have to stop operating. At this point, Rusted Radishes, so they are, AUB pays for the printing of the journal, but um, Rima, the the editor-in-chief, had said that if if they're continuing to it at the moment, if for some reason they can't print, they'll they'll go online. 
And she said that for her, um, this current moment has made it more important to her to to create jobs inside the cultural sector. So they're planning to create a, a pay, right now they're mostly volunteers. They're planning to create a job for a managing editor and a social media manager and that the economy has sort of hit them in this way that says it's really important to pay people for their cultural work. Um, so they're, they're attempting to, to raise funds and to make that happen so that they can, so that people are not, you know, doing this sort of cultural work in their, in their spare time, but, but are supported and paid for doing it. Well, that's the ideal always actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But it's a good publication. I mean, I also really have enjoyed some of the, uh, graphic arts that they, that they have put up and, and which, which speaks, you know, to the moment because, you know, often it's, that's, kind of work that is is quite reactive and quite contextual and I'm I'm thinking of some sort of great pop art that I saw on their website recently that showed you know uh, the various heads of Lebanese politicians melting away or deconstructed or what was in them right. which was just more images of their own head like <laughs> I thought that one was pretty good uh, and some of the con they also do uh, you know features graphic uh, graphic right. novels or comics and some of those have, are also have also been good um, yeah I, I really hope uh, I mean the the engine you know this this vaunted but true, you know, ingenuity and 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 savoir-faire of of the Lebanese people is 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 a real thing, and you know, people are trying or mobilizing as 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 much as they can, I think, to you know, uh, both to weather this moment uh, and and then also to think of an alternative. It's just, it's just that you're up against a system that refuses alternatives, like that, that is, that is ready to seemingly drive the country off a cliff before they'll consider. Right. Right. Sharing, sharing some of their billions of dollars. Yeah. It's, uh, or even being transparent about where their billions of dollars have gone. Yeah, I mean, it's we'll we'll see what happens with this. But but you know, the longer you know, this this crisis has been. I and I'll link to this in the show notes. There's a very good essay by a French researcher on the Lebanese economy that's very well written and and sort of describes the looming crisis. It was written in 2017, and she's not the only one. I mean, this is this is something that people saw coming. Uh, again, it's a bit like Lena's essay. It's like, you just don't want to think about it. You know, you, right. Because I think on the, on the part, you know, there's the criminal not wanting to think about it, which is the people who, you know, don't actually, you know, embezzle the money that's supposed to go to the wastewater treatment facility because, you know, they, they, they figure their villa or whatever is never going to be affected by and they don't go swimming in the public beach and then there's the more actually kind of complicated the helpless not thinking of it about it which is the average person because you don't you can't figure out what you can do right you know right. and so you, you, cannot, just, you can't go down there and start patching the sewer system yourself um right so what do you do yeah i mean and and so and so you 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 push the thought away because and there was, there has been, you know, activism and, and people complaining and people trying to get information, but they make the information unavailable to you. You have like no power to like actually affect the shape of your city. It's a very, you know, frustrating. And I think so, an experience that people can relate to in a lot of cities. I mean, everywhere, I think there's a lot of dysfunctional cities in particular, also in this part of the world, in the region. Um, because they 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 mirror governance and and things are done to your city or not done and you have so little control right well i yeah but although i think it's probably something that would be familiar to most people around the world uh feeling out of control of your city i mean like italian cities i don't know where i grew up there's a lot of, there's a lot of similar things you know there's 
but it but it directly correlates to to governance like if you have an effective and and basically transparent and non-corrupt city council if you have a city council at all then you know the most egregious things are less likely to happen um it, it's about having some mechanism to to agree about what you're you know what needs to be done and what shouldn't be done right yeah although i suppose it's all in degree right so, so some cities with functioning city councils still have a sort of a predatory capitalist class that is um eking things out of the city at the same time. Oh, I mean, we, we find ways to, to, to pervert and corrupt democracy with like incredible efficiency and speed. <laughs> so, so, so there's always, you know, you just have to be alert all the time. Like you can't. Right, right. Whereas you really wouldn't want to. Honestly, I would like to be working on something like Samandal or Rusted Radishes. And I don't want to be focused on the sewage system of any city anywhere. Right. Although I think this essay makes it so interesting. And I I wanted to maybe play another excerpt from it, which gets into um, a particular and sort of shocking case of yes. what the non-maintenance of both the sewage and the, uh, uh, what's it called, the evacuation system, uh, just the rainwater system combined did. Uh, so sh shall I, should we go ahead yes. and listen to that? Let's hear Lena again. In 2017, the real estate behemoth Ashwood Development broke ground on yet another new luxury seaside resort, right on Ramlitlboida Beach. Civil society activist groups and local NGOs had been campaigning for years to save the city's last public beach from private development, stepping it up desperately in those last few months, demonstrating, holding press conferences, filing lawsuits against the municipality, loudly warning of irrevocable damage to the social and natural environments. The president of the Beirut Order of Engineers and Architects compiled a report detailing every violation that had been undertaken to allow the construction to go ahead, including the illegal sale and rezoning of land that had been classified as unbuildable, the erasure of the limits of what is, by law, considered the public maritime domain, and the outright forgery of permit material. None of it made a difference in the end. There's a long precedent here of bulldozing over the laws, of rewriting them to suit private interests. Today, the ghastly, oversized monstrosity, unironically and unimaginatively named Eden Bay, dominates one end of the beach, smugly looking out over the water, its back to the city. The copy on Eden Bay's website reads, in part, This luxurious retreat by the sea boasts exquisite accommodation, superior amenities, unmatched hospitality, and the exclusivity of your own private community in the city. In all the intervening years, the copywriters have learned no new tricks. Why should they? They know what the rich need, what they have always needed, to live in Beirut without living in Beirut, to float above its filth and rot in their own private bubbles, enjoying their singular views, untouched and untouchable. But what, you might ask, did they do with the outfalls gushing raw sewage into the sea just yards away from Eden Bay's superior amenities? Why, they did what any short-sighted, profit-minded, cartoonishly evil corporate villain might do. First, they stoppered that shit up with concrete. Then, they rerouted it into a storm pipe. And then the rains came. Had you had you f heard about or followed what what happened, the incident that she's talking about in this portion of the essay? Yeah, I, I but I think probably from a more you know distant perspective, much like at this point, I'm seeing uh, the 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 situation with the roads in Cairo and the the destruction of everything in favor of the of the this new highway system. Yeah, I do remember this sort of deluge of of videos of frightening and very yucky videos. Yeah, I remember it too because I think it's, you know, everybody's <laughs> what one one of ones not I'm already scared of floods personally. I find floods mm -hmm. kind of terrifying. But then like floods of shit, floods of no, sewage. No, that's just uh, no, that's <laughs> it's a whole other level. Like being trapped in your car um and so actually 
one of the things that I love about this essay is that it actually explains, you know, what led to this particular incident. Because what happened, um, what she goes on to to explain, is that uh, there there was this terrible storm and uh, this flood, but it was this it was a sewage system that actually broke out and flooded the streets uh, because of what this hotel had had done. It seemingly. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's just absolutely horrifying. Um, and, uh, and, and, and a, and a direct result of, of just the most irresponsible, uh, kind of, uh, speculative behavior. Uh, and I don't think there was ever, I don't know what accountability there ever was for, 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 for causing this. Right. Uh, I suppose that's the other thing we humans are really great at is fantastically short-term thinking. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, also, you know, when you're, I think you're in a situation in many parts of the world where you're, one crisis is being followed so quickly by another. Yeah. That it's hard to, you know, get clarity and get reparations um and get justice on any one thing because the sort of abuses are so frequent and 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 all and and also over the line uh that uh it, it it's hard it's hard it's hard to keep track right um, yeah and you can't really focus public attention on everything that's going on at the same time yeah, I mean, uh, but, uh, but 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 again, I think this 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 essay just gives you the big picture and the specifics enough specifics that you can really understand some of the mechanisms in which this damage is being done and the reasons, right. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah, the the things that are specific to Beirut, and then the things that are that we will all see, which is how this is a part of of probably a part of climate change that the rains are becoming heavier, and because um, the the ground is is absorbing less because the rains are less frequent, um, it, then the runoff becomes more severe. So it, I. I do see this as sort of a canary in the coal mine essay for, or maybe more likely a Cassandra essay for, for the whole world. Yeah. I mean, the things that Lebanon is facing, both the like completely savage privatization, the environmental degradation, the presence of so many refugees, uh, an economic sector that's basically was completely dominated by real estate and financialization, you know, and and very little productive industry. These are all extreme forms of issues that everyone's facing. Uh, this kind of gridlock in the political system. Of course, there's particular cultures and histories, but again, we're all facing, I think, a crisis of leadership, like a, an absolute lack of you know, uh, bigger vision and just vision for right. our, how our countries and our cities should and be our run. world and our world. Yeah. I mean, a really, and a crisis of sharing, a crisis of of being open to others. I think, um, you know, so many of these. Uh, I, I think, you know, like in Ahmed Khaled Taufiq's Utopia, you know, of of these walled off enclaves which are not, as, as we see in this essay, which are not really walled off because they do use the same air, the same sewage system, the same, they may not have the same electrical grid. They may have their own private resources in some ways, but in other ways, a flood of shit can still flood <laughs> through um, one of these uh, uh, enclaves. So I think it's the idea of being an enclave more than anybody really actually being an enclave. Yeah, of course. And then um, in one way or another, I mean, that's the thing about sort of environmental issues is that is that they do connect and affect us all, you know, whether it's that you're actually all bearing the brunt of what's happening or whether it's that's, you know, some people are 
you know, not paying the cost for what they're doing and, 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 and moving that cost onto others. Uh, but there's no kind of, you can't delimit the borders between my environmental use, you know, my effect on the environment and the environment I live on and yours. Like you can't build walls really that, 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 that make that, you know, that, that really create barriers in that way. But that's the thing is like, the, we seem so unprepared to deal with this challenge of, of, of dealing with something that really is, has to be a sort of collective uh, decision and policy. Yeah, there's there's a, a Lebanese book that I a novel that I really love that that treats this. It's Rabi Jaber's Taqrir Mahlis, which was translated as the Mahlis Report by Karim James Abu Zaid. It came out in 2005, right after the bombing that killed Hariri, and as people were waiting for the Mahlis Report, and that is sort of the um, the engine of the novel. You know, the main character is waiting for this. Mahlis report as he sees the city uh, collapsing. So, around I'm sorry, him. was the was the Mahlis report the investigation into the assassination of the prime minister? Is that what yes. it is? Yes, it was okay. the international investigation. So, you know, the local investigation was deemed um, insufficient, and this was the international. Um, I think his name was Detlev Mahlis. Um, uh, this was the international report that people were sort of holding their breath for as if this was going to be transparent and this was going to finally say what was going on, um, which I think is the sort of plot of a number of Lebanese novels of waiting for some truth that doesn't come. But in this case, the main character is an architect, Saman Yarid, and he's a sort of admirer of Hariri and this city that was built after the after the civil war was over and he lives in this kind of uh, he lives in two spaces or actually maybe three spaces um and and i this this essay made me think of it because he has a number of books in which there is an underground city there's a city beneath beirut and in this case it's kind of an afterworld city and you access it or or it comes out through these gigantic mountains of trash um, uh, like the Burj Hamad, Hamoud landfill is, is like, um, is like a mountain of, of rotting in the summer heat and these gigantic, you know, dog sized or sometimes even donkey sized rats come out and they, they, you know, they, they're the ones who consume the dead and the dead who have not, the dead who, who died too soon, like the protagonist's sister are still living in this underground city. So it's, it is not it is not quite the city of the sewage system which maybe is a novel that is yet to be written but but it is these kind of two cities the the city that you see and then the city of things that were not dealt with um this and and how the mounds of trash are rising and how the rats are getting bigger and how this guy who is an you know a uh, you know, a, you know, he loves good food, and he is supremely well dressed, and he's admirer of great architecture, and he's an artist walking around the city, and he can still see the beautiful things in the city, but um, how slowly this the the sense of the the landfill and the sense of the sewage, and the sense of the the sort of human remains that have been washed down in, into the sewage drain are reaching him as well. Um, so I think this, it, the essay reminded me of this novel that it was written in 2005 uh, of these multiple layers of city. Yeah. And, and also Lena like references the fact that, you know, one of the many things being buried and not addressed is the past. Mm. I mean, that's, a big part of this, whether it's, uh, you know, mass graves or uh, the fact that, you know, all these politicians have never had to be held accountable for their roles in the Civil War or, you, you know, that clearly, I mean, I like that she says, you know, unlike the book that you just described, which sounds surreal and 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 very fascinating but which 
works still on the level of a metaphor, right? Right. Yeah. And then, and Lena says explicitly, this is not a metaphor because <laughs> I mean, well, it's both, you right. know, obviously we are talking about all the things that are done. And then we're literally talking about the fact that the pipes are from the 1940s and, you know, that, that they're bursting and breaking and, and nobody's, you know, the actual physical infrastructure of the city is collapsing. Um, but it reflects, uh, you know, s- something else as well. So you can sort of read it on on all these levels. Uh, this story about like not dealing with one's shit, basically. Yeah. No. Um, and, and when it is a metaphor, it's a very frightening metaphor, like the metaphor of the human circulatory system of your your own internal sewage getting loose and going into the rest of your body. Obviously, that's fatal. Um, yeah, it's it's dangerous. It's deadly, um, and uh, and people do are are dying, and will die from the consequences of this unwillingness or inability to to maintain the most basic standards of you know taking care of the commons, right? Right. Um, but um, I mean, I, so I would really recommend we we excerpted a couple of pieces out of the essay, and we purposely didn't excerpt the end, which is uh, because I think everybody should just go read it for themselves. Um, it's 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 just a real strong uh, and thought provoking piece of writing. And then um, also you can follow Lena on Twitter at. Uh, Wargetti, spelled yes. <laughs> W-A-R-G-H-E-T-T-I. Um, and, uh, you know, and just follow, I mean, I'm following the situation in Lebanon generally. I'm so, like, shocked and concerned, really, uh, at, the, at the level of sort of ongoing devastation and irresponsibility there now. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> there may not there may there there may not be much much else to say. But I think that the I mean I think the only thing to do though is to is to follow people who are there, to read people who are there, to to try and support, you know, institutions who are going to keep on uh working. Um I saw an initiative online too that was trying to connect uh like Lebanese researchers. Right. Uh, with 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 international institutions, you know, people who can uh, with you know provide uh, uh, you know research capabilities or language capabilities or or whatever, like in any small way uh, to and to keep it in mind because I think Lebanon is not maybe because it's a small country. I don't know the level of attention that's being paid to this. I find is small, uh, like you know, internationally and regionally, maybe because so many other things are going on, but it, 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 it's, it looms big in my mind, maybe because it's next door. Uh, it seems, you know, like, uh, a real historical tragedy is unfolding right now. And, uh, it, it, it's not getting a lot of attention. To, it seems to me. Right. Well, I think our attention is pretty fractured, generally speaking, but to me, one of the things that uh, of course, it's because friends are there and it's affecting their their families and their networks and themselves. Uh, but also because I do believe that it has so much to say about the future of the world. Mm. Yeah, I agree. That that's why that's one of the reasons why it's it's not just that you know we should be paying attention because we should be paying attention to so many things around the world, but that it it could tell us something. <laughs> maybe, maybe we could change something about how we interact with our world and ourselves. I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you could come up with an alternative there, that would be quite a feat in reconceptualizing uh, a whole system of economics and governance. And I think in a way, the collapse of that system shows something like it is unworkable what they did there. Right. 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 Like it is unworkable. It's made everybody miserable. People have been angry about it for a long time, but also sort of like, you know, you know, either helpless or in some cases complicit, but you know, 
but it 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 is it is it is absolutely untenable um the 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 way that they have arranged things uh economically and politically uh and and the way, which has been sort of celebrated forever as a form of yeah. resilience and then of absolutely. course it turns out to be you know uh, a house of cards in in some respects right 9000 stories about cool bars in Beirut <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean I think also people are, are 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 right to be annoyed at some of the forms of of some of the ways in which this is treated uh as as if it's not uh as if it's somehow not that serious, you know. Yes, I think there was a terrible economist story about you know how uh it was it's either like oh and they party on no matter what or it was right. like can you believe it they've stopped partying you know and 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 i don't know you know it's 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 a country that has played an outsized role in in the in the politics and culture of the region and 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 that matters uh and uh and the fact that they're you know very good at having a good time, which is also true, is also like a gift. <laughs> like, anyway, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to just go on about how, how much I enjoy visiting Beirut, but um, uh, I think we'll stop there for now. Uh, and we'll have several suggestions of things that people can read if they're interested uh, besides Lena's work. And uh, we'll also remind everyone again uh to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, uh, to uh, follow us on Twitter at Bulak Books. And if you want to tweet about the show or even ask us questions or, you know, discuss things with other listeners to use the hashtag Bulak Books. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. Um, what else do we need to mention? And then maybe another a reminder once again that you know we'd greatly appreciate it if you could uh, support this crowdfunding campaign that we're starting every little bit it makes a difference. Um, and uh, and of course it's you know very appreciated by us. Um, so so please check it out and also spread the word. Yes, thanks everybody for anything that you can do to support it. And let's, I, I would, we would love it if you would continue the conversation online. Cool. Um, well, we will uh, pick up again soon. Um, and uh, goodbye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.